Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the Lean Zone podcast. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into contract provisions. We're going to break this into three parts. So the first part's going to be the right to stop work, notice an opportunity to cure, pay when paid, and price escalation. The next episode is going to be hidden conditions, delays, and consequential damages. And then the third part is going to be liquidated damages, caps on damages, indemnity, defense, and hold harmless provisions. We're going to take a deep dive into all of these provisions. I'm going to give you very specific sample provisions that you can use, what, what's good, what's bad, what's, what you need to consider um, over this three-part podcast series. If you have any questions, feel free to email me anytime about this or any other podcast. Alex at Barthet.com. I'm happy to answer any questions as you have them. I hope you enjoy. All right. So people come to me and they say, Alex, I got presented this construction contract. I really want the job. I, I only, I, you know, can you just make one or two changes? Uh, what are the most important things that I need to deal with? That, by the way, is how this presentation was created, right? What are the most important changes that you have to make? You, you get presented a 20, 30, 50-page contract. You know, you can only make so many changes. What are those changes? What should they look like? And what is the number one change that I think you should make? It's the right to stop work. Most contracts that come across my desk have a provision that says, even if you're not getting paid, even if we're disputing change orders, you have to keep working. Your, your remedy is that you have to follow the dispute resolution process in the contract. Maybe we have a meeting, maybe we go to mediation or arbitration, but you have to keep working. And what does that mean for you? You're paying labor, you're paying for your materials, and no one is paying you. That's a recipe for disaster. So what should you do? You should unequivocally include in your next contract the right to stop work. Now, some contracts don't affirmatively require you to keep working if you haven't been paid. I would still encourage you to put a provision. So if something happens, you can point to it in the contract and say, hey, I'm not getting paid. I have the right to stop work. So here's an example. And this, and all of the materials, I think you all have access to the materials. If you don't, you can send me an email. I will send you all of this uh, in the PowerPoint presentation so you have it. But this presentation, I'm going to give you very specific examples of contract provisions. So, the right to stop work. Subcontractor may slow or stop work without liability or penalty if its pay request hasn't been paid within 45 days from submission to contractor. Maybe 45 days, it should be 60 days, you know, 70 days, you know, something. But the, the point is that it's not never. At some point, if you are not getting paid, you should have the right to stop working. Okay, the next most important provision that I would suggest that you focus on in your contract review after the right to stop work is notice an opportunity to cure. In my experience, you're going to get contracts, and those contracts, if written by the other side, they're going to say we can terminate you or supplement your forces uh, or backcharge you in a day, 24 hours, 72 hours. The goal of this review um, let, let, me, let me back up and at least tell you, you know, it, when someone hands you a multi-page contract that they wrote and they expect you to sign, it is 
almost certainly good for them and not good for you. It's going to be very hard to make it even, right? The goal isn't to make it even because you probably wouldn't get any work. So what do you have to do? You're just trying to move the needle to make it less unfair. Doesn't sound great, but that's the goal. Make it less unfair and incorporate some wiggle room so that if there's a dispute later, you've got something to give to your lawyer. So when you have to have a fight, there's something in the contract that gives him or her the ability to argue that something is ambiguous, you know, that you didn't act, the contractor didn't have the absolute right to do something. They had to act reasonably. So that's the overarching goal. You'll notice even some of the provisions that I include that are for the benefit of the subcontractor, um, they, you know, they don't sound great. They're better than the alternative, and that's the goal. Uh, you know, reviewing a contract that the other side rejects because they're not agreeing and you don't get the job doesn't help you. The goal is to, to move the needle so you still get the work and that the contract is less unfair. So the second provision, notice an opportunity to cure. So this is what we typically see in most contracts. Uh, and in essence, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says, if you don't show up, if you show up with too few men, if we don't like the work you're doing, if we find defects, if there's a lien put on the property, um, for any reason at all, we have the right within 24 hours to supplement your forces, back charge you, or terminate you. It's very one-sided. Uh, and it's hard to overcome. Think about that. At any given time, at the discretion of the other side, they can terminate you. Uh, so here's a provision that's more favorable to you as the contracting party. Um, contractors shall give detailed written notice to subcontractor senior project executives along with seven calendar days opportunity to diligently commence the cure before contractor may impose any claims, back charges, work or material supplementation, default or termination. I wanna break this provision down a little bit because there's some really interesting nuggets in here that you may not even recognize, okay? The first, detailed written notice. Written notice is, you know, you showed up with five guys, uh, it, it should have been 10, you know, you're in default. Detailed written notice is gonna require more. You know, how much more? I don't know, but it's something we can argue about later so that if I get a notice uh, from my client and I can now say, well, I don't think that complied with the terms of the contract because it was notice, but it wasn't detailed notice. Again, that's a, a little nuance that most people won't argue about, but it helps your lawyer argue something later if he or she has to. The next, probably the most significant, is the opportunity to diligently commence the cure. You'll notice most notice and opportunity to cure provisions say you have a certain amount of time to cure, right? So if you get 72 hours to cure, what the hell are you gonna do in 72 hours to actually fix the problem? More likely than not, you are not gonna fix a problem start to finish in 72 hours. What can you do in those 72 hours? You can commence the cure. Okay, I didn't have enough men. I, you know, I showed up with five. Now I'm showing up with 10. That's commencing the cure. There's some issue with our work that you claim to be defective. I've ordered new materials. I've uh, cordoned off the area. We've started to work on it. 
It may not be done for three weeks, but I've commenced the cure. So changing notice and opportunity to cure to notice and opportunity to commence the cure, again, is one of those things that gives you the right to argue, hey, I have complied with the contract. Um, and then what you want is you want to make sure that this notice and opportunity to cure covers all the types of things that a contractor will come back to you for, uh, whether that's default and termination at the extreme, to little things like back charges. So most contracts say, you know, we, you, you're supposed to have a composite cleanup crew for your work. If we determine that you haven't cleaned up, we're going to just clean up and send you a bill. This now says, if you're going to back charge me for any reason, you got to give me seven days notice. Now, they may not agree to seven days. Maybe they agree to three days. Um, maybe you can get them to agree to 10 days. But again, it's the commencement of the cure that really is the, is the crux of this provision. Okay, pay when paid, the next one. Um, so I practice law in Florida. Pay when paid is a standard provision in Florida. Not every state recognizes pay when paid. Uh, so some states, pay when paid is not allowed to be in your contract. In many states it is. Pay when paid is a provision that says the contractor doesn't have to pay you unless the owner pays the contractor for your scope of work. So the credit risk belongs to you as the subcontractor, not the contractor who signed a contract with you. So it's a constant struggle here in Florida and other states that recognize pay when paid provisions. So how do you deal with it? In Florida, I will tell you again, I've been doing this for more than 20 years. It, no contractor, no owner, they're not going to strike a pay when paid provision. It's going to live in your contract. So how do you deal with it? The way you deal with it is to make sure you have the right to stop work. That was the very first provision we talked about. Why? Because even if you don't get paid because the contractor hasn't been paid by the owner and you've decided that contractually you own that risk, at least you get to stop work, right? The killer is you have a pay when paid provision in your contract and you have to keep working when you're not getting paid. So owner's not paying contractor, contractor's not paying you, that's not a default because you have a pay when paid provision in your contract. Now you have to keep working. Again, going back, if you ask me the one change, if you could only make one change in your contract, it would be having the very clear and unequivocal right to stop work if you're not getting paid. So we go back to the provision. Um, so the right to stop work. Subcontractor may, may slow or stop work without liability or penalty if its pay request has not been paid within 45 days from submission to contractor. Okay, so, so this is what happens in the negotiation, right? It, for you, it would be better if it said uh, to pay the pay request in full within the time. What you're going to notice as you negotiate is you start to put in more of those details. The other side is going to be, uh, I don't know anymore. Well, I, you know, what if I don't get paid all of it? I still got to. So again, this goes back to the idea of putting in enough to argue about. Like if we had to go to court on this provision, I could on your behalf with a straight face say, hey, the request was 10,000. We got 9,000. I get to stop working. It's a little ambiguous, right? That's what you want right? In your contract, as you, as you deal with contracts given to you by the other side. Now, if you have the opportunity 
to have your own form of contract that you give to other people and they will sign it, then yeah, put in, you know, we have the right to stop work within, you know, if we don't get paid in 10 days, right? So again, it, it depends on the bargaining power of the, of the parties. It's, no, look, it, to be clear, the less ambiguous, the better. The problem is the less ambiguous, the less likely it's going to get approved by the other side in your negotiation. So you just need a little oomph. Correct, correct. Um, bigger picture, I will tell you that if, you know, my advice to clients is uh, take a run at amending the contract, right? Almost every contractor is going to tell you, no, no, we don't, we don't change our contracts. And at least in Florida where I practice, I have specific examples of every contractor making changes to their contract, right? They will make changes to their contract. They will tell you that they won't. Sometimes we see contracts and at the top it says, you are not allowed to modify this contract. And lo and behold, we negotiate the contract and make lots of changes. If you end up doing work with the same people over and over, the goal is that you take a run at making changes and then when the next contract comes around, you want to hold the line of where you were and then make really small changes the next time around and the next time around. I mean like really small so that it doesn't upset the apple cart. So that, you know, five years later you look, where did I start? Where did I finish? And I re you realize, wow, like we, we made a lot of progress in that time period. So that's the strategy you want to use. So how do you deal with pay when paid? We talked about making sure you have the right to stop work and then asserting timely your lien and bond rights uh, in the state that you're working in, right? So if you have the right to assert a lien, you need to do that because the pay when paid language doesn't prevent you from recording a lien or making a claim on the contractor's payment bond. Now, I've passed out to, to everybody two tools that we have been giving out for many years. Uh, the first one is the Calculine. That's that little disc that looks like a pregnancy calculator. Um, it, in Florida, you have to serve a notice to owner within 45 days, and you have to record a lien or make a bond claim within 90 days. So it has those two uh, delineations right on the document, or right on the, the wheel. The second uh, tool that we've, I've passed out is called the Lienomatic. This is a synthesis of all of the lien and bond laws in the state of Florida. So to the extent you do any work in the state of Florida, you can find what do you have to file and when do you have to file it to secure your lien rights and or bond rights, depending on the job. Now, uh, to the, for those that don't do work in Florida, there is still one section that will apply to you, and that is the federal tab. I think it's the third tab in. So the Miller Act is, a, is the federal statute that governs the ability to make a claim on a contractor's bond on federal projects. Think VA hospital, Air Force Base, uh, federal courthouse. So what you do is you pull down the little tab, you indicate on the arrow what your role is, and then at the bottom window it will show you what you need to serve and file and when you need to file it. Um, okay, so let's keep going. Price escalation. Now, from my vantage point as a construction lawyer, uh, it was probably, what, maybe a year, 18 months ago, my phone would not stop ringing about material price escalation. Now, 
when we review contracts, it's an issue. It's not like it was before. People still want to try to account for it. Uh, depending on the scope, the, the lead time associated with materials is currently the bigger issue than the price escalation right now. Um, but this is a good opportunity to make sure that when you are negotiating a contract, that you include some type of material escalation provision. Maybe not because it applies today, but maybe it'll happen uh, you know, next year, the year after, the year after, and you at least have something in your contract. So we saw material price escalation happen, I think it was probably maybe eight years ago. We saw a big spike, especially with concrete in South Florida. So everyone was talking about material price escalation then. So we saw it show up in contracts, and then over the, over the years, it kind of disappeared, like it no longer existed in the contracts, meaning you agreed to hold your price firm. And then the pandemic happened, and then material price escalation went through the roof. So there was a period of time before where there, those provisions were in the contract, and now I'm starting to see them getting removed. So to the extent that you wish to make this an issue in your contract, here are some provisions. So this is a provision that is favorable to the GC. The contract sum is and shall remain fixed under no circumstances whatsoever shall contractor be entitled to any additional time, compensation, fees, costs, or increases in the cost of materials, delivery, fuel, storage, or labor due to any reason, including without limitation, shortages, strikes, delays, pandemics, wars, viruses, and the like. So this is normally what you'll see in the contract, a provision that says your price is your price and that's it. Um, so here is a version of one of the provisions that we were recommending, especially at the height of material escalation uh, fever. So this is favorable to you as a subcontractor. Um, where and when delivery of materials is delayed or quantities are limited as a result of shortages, rationing, or unavailability, subcontractors shall not be liable or responsible for any delays or damages caused thereby. Additionally, when the costs of any and all labor or end materials exceed 5% more than the price originally quoted to subcontractor, then subcontractor shall notice contractor in writing of such change and the party shall promptly come to a mutual agreement on a new contract price. Subcontractor may slow or stop work prior to such agreement. We proposed some version of this at the, at the height of the material escalation issues, and I'm here to tell you no one ever signed this one. Right? This is really way too favorable for you. What did it do? It started the conversation. Maybe it wasn't 5%, maybe it was 10%. Maybe that you don't have the right to stop work, but maybe they have to create some kind of force account where they have to pay you half. Maybe uh, the other thing we're seeing more now, because it's less of a, a global concern, more of a very isolated concern on items, people are using a provision like this, referencing, the, and referencing an exhibit that says, these are the items that are subject to the material price escalation provision. Concrete, PVC, uh, switchgear, right? So now you kind of take the whole universe of things that could go up and, and you just limit it, right? So this is part of the negotiation. Uh, so again, don't, don't, please, don't think that you're going to present this provision and anyone that reads it is going to sign it. They will not sign it. But again, it's, it's the starting point of, of how to get to some place in the middle. Hello everybody, let me introduce you to the Lean-O-Matic, our Florida construction law calculator. This helps you understand what to file and when 
depending on what role you have on the project and what type of project it is. You can get it for free at leanomatic.com. We'll send it to you in the mail. It'll take a few days. And this is a great tool to have so that you can always answer the question of what to file and when. You can get it for free at leanomatic.com. Hopefully you'll put it to great use.